सो वेलकम बैक टू नदर पॉडकास्ट ऑफ ऑल वार्ड यूनाइटेड इन फुटबॉल एंड दिस इज मी हेमंत एंड दिस इज अ वेरी स्पेशल पॉडकास्ट दिस इज द फोर्टी नाइन्थ पॉडकास्ट रिलीज ऑफ माई चैनल एंड दिस इज नोन एज मनी वर्स इज फुटबॉल फुटबॉलिंग पॉडकास्ट दैट आई प्लानिंग टू डू फ्रॉम अ वेरी लॉन्ग टाइम बट आई हैव नॉट गॉट द टाइम एंड फाइनली आई डिसाइड टू डू इट आई वॉज गोन हैव अ गेस्ट इनिशियली बट आई एम गोन डू इट अलोन राइट नाउ सो इन दिस पॉडकास्ट आई गोन डिस्कस वेद फुटबॉल ओनर्स वर मनी रिच कैन जस्ट सक द क्लब क्लब्स मनी एंड रेवेन्यू और वेदर दे कैन actually run the football club properly given that they recruit rightly this is a very interesting uh, podcast to discuss about it's got loads of aspects i'm going to mainly focus on some of them and yeah let's just get going then so this is a podcast that i think i've been writing my script since like i started writing it like a very long while ago like a couple of months ago and i've just been a lazy ass not to just complete the script of this podcast and uh this was like one of my first podcasts where i sort of thought that maybe a detailed script could actually work but i couldn't still complete it but it was high time that i did this podcast so i kind of half completed it and remaining of it i just sort of decided to do it by the key point thing that i basically do with every podcast so yep let's just begin so as this podcast says money versus football can money and football go hand in hand my belief is that a wealthy owner after arriving at a club invests in a planned manner to structure a club uh, by planned i mean um, have higher credible people with proven track record to the extent that the club needs to uh, to the extent that the club needs at that point in time and invest into the philosophy of a genuinely good manager then results would certainly be positive for the club and in the long run the owner can recoup the rewards when the club achieves success the prime example for me is andrea redrizzani he is an italian entrepreneur who has a net worth of around 550 million us dollars as of our 2018's data initially he bought 50% of leeds united shares before completing a full purchase in may 2017 he obviously had a plan clear which was to get leeds united back into the premier league he knew that this would mean both on field football success and financial success as well because leeds are a big club in england who've had a massive downfall over the decades due to poor management and ownership and they desperately want to be back amongst the best of england and also a uh, promotion to the premier league is estimated to be 170 million pounds which is go- good return on the investment of someone like radrizzani and they'd obviously get more money from the sponsors because traditionally an english top flight club has got some really really good sponsors So Radrizzani was in a win-win situation when he bought Leeds and when promotion does happen for Leeds and to this he's appointed some uh when promotion does happen for Leeds and to this to do this he's uh he's appointed some great people like Victor Orta as the director of football even Brau as the director of strategy and Angus Kinnear as a chief executive and obviously the Don Marcelo Bielsa who is a master tactician and Pep Guardiola once himself termed him as the best coach in the world the coach word i obviously quote and honestly if you rank Bielsa on his tactical ability um 
uh, with the Premier League managers, I think he would definitely make the top seven or at least the top ten Premier League managers because I think he's definitely better than a whole lot of Premier League managers. Now, it's pretty fair to make an argument that the investors and businessmen do purchase football clubs as a business venture and not necessarily the people who love football or love a club and buy them for that reason. The Glazers family are the uh, prime most example of a group of people absolutely taking every single penny possible from the club that they own. That is obviously Manchester United and I probably might talk about them for the next couple of minutes. So... It is abundantly clear that the investment towards the money to uh, towards uh, of the club investment towards of the money uh, by the Glazers has been more casual and careless instead of being strategic and well planned because the investment has been just bullshit. Uh, it's just been like sucking out of the money and not investing the right amount of money in the right manner to sort of get the footballing success. The fact that the footballing operations at Manchester United are being looked after an ex-investment banker with zero background in football shows the lack of incompetence, a lack of competence uh, of the Manchester United board. The failure to recruit someone with a credible footballing background to be in charge of the major transfer and other footballing operations of the club has led to a terrible period of seven years since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. The club has invested a huge amount of money on player recruitments and has the highest wage bill in English football as of the recording date and yet United's performances are nowhere near to the standards of the performances of a top level European club uh, who has a wage bill of that amount. Now Manchester United example as the Con- Manchester United's example and the concept of money versus football is a negative one and depicts the fact that no matter even if a club has money, if the recruitment and the structure of the football club in a footballing sense is not proper, then it is not going to end well for the club. It's just going to be a disaster. Although financially United earn the most annual re- revenue in England, that has been the case since the last three or four seasons and that again takes you to uh, takes you back to the initial point that this club is a money earning business and a major source of income for the Glazers family and Edward Wood. Now if you do some research and read some financial articles about United's annual revenue and the rate of increase those reven- uh, rate of increase of those revenues pre Glazers reign then you could conclude that even without the often termed financial mastermind at Woodward, United's revenues would have been as good as they are now. And in fact, if someone with a decent football background would have been in charge of United as United CEO, then United's success in the transfer market and on the pitch would have been far better. And they have uh, they financially would have recouped the similar amount of revenues that they are recouping now. Uh, as per those articles suggest I would go a further step and make an argument for United fans like me who want the Glazers and Woodward out of the club that even if the Glazers were in charge of the club and released only about 150 million let's say for transfers then a smarter CEO or a director of football would have definitely used the scouting network to pull off some really great European American or any talent from some corner of the world for a reasonable price like 30 million or so and they could become 
the, those players could have had the potential to become uh, potential world-class players if the club hires managers who have a defined philosophy and have the ability to improve the players with their coaching methods. Now, whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that sort of a manager is completely a different debating topic. But try and understand my basic point in this scenario. If someone as passionate as Radja Zani was in charge at United, then he would have done far better than the Glazers at United. The investment would have been well planned. The transfers would have been well strategized according to the manager uh, manager's requirements. And those transfers would have fit into the manager's system perfectly 90 to 80% of the times. Now, coming to the opposite end of the spectrum, not completely what I mean is not completely the opposite end. But what I mean to say is that you've got a passionate football owner, but he doesn't have the money. Now, Andrea Tredosani could be that example, but he's not completely the prime example of this scenario because Radrizani does have some amount of money and Leeds are at least the best club in the championship of England. But now I'm going to talk about someone who is absolutely passionate to get the football club back on track, their football club back on track, but just don't have the money. And I'm talking about Sunderland here. I recently watched Sunderland's series on Netflix known as Sunderland Till I Die. And I realized that Stuart, Stuart Donald, who is apparently the owner of Sunderland, and Charlie Theron, who's uh, I think the chief executive officer of Sunderland, they both are very football passionate people who definitely were Sunderland fans or at least loved Sunderland and they wanted Sunderland to be back on the top. I mean, at least back in the Premier League for contention, at least for top 10 spots or something like that. But they bought the football club in a failed state. When they bought Sunderland, Sunderland was a very big failure of a financial model. Like, they had the highest wage bill in League One history. And the transfers were just ridiculous. When I saw Sunderland's situation in, in terms of uh, attracting you know transfer propositions in the transfer market I just felt really sad for them because they are football passionate people and they they were literally looking for any goddamn player to come into the football club and become a fit now uh, to explain Sunderland's you know failed financial model and failed transfer model I would say that take the example of Josh Madja Josh Madja was a talented Sunderland player who obviously scored a lot of goals for Sunderland and was the main key for them to you know uh, score goals and keep those goals coming but Josh Maja was unfortunately on the end of his contract and uh, he was uh, having an agent who obviously wanted to get a move away from Sunderland uh, uh, where the player himself could earn higher wages and the agent could get a good on signing fee that the agents generally get in football so Josh Maja was very, very, uh, you know, tense about the situation because Sunderland were trying desperately to keep this man, him, at that at their club, whereas Maja was just clueless and his agent was just trying to pull away a move from him. And the demands by the agent were so high that Sunderland just couldn't afford but to let go of him. And then the, the striker crisis was just worse. They did not have a striker. The goals were just until they obviously got Will Gregg who I can't term whether he's a successful or a failure signing but from Wigan Athletic ever since then ever since Stuart Donald and Charlie Theron took at Sunderland 
they've tried their very best to structure that football club and improve its financial situation but the financial situation of that club was so far failed that even if they wanted to improve that football uh, football club's financial situation they had to bring in investors and when you talk about bringing in investors they could potentially demand of uh, demand for buying the club's majority shares and once the majority shares are with those shareholders they could probably uh, they could essentially take the majority control of the football club and once the control of the football club has gone out of your hands you just don't know what's going to happen they could be someone like the glazers who could just you know suck more and more money out of the club and the remaining shareholders who are Stuart Donald and Charlie Theron could just um, you know struggle with their vision of improving Sunderland as a football club now i exactly don't know whether sunderland did go and get investors to improve the financial situation but they still are struggling sadly in league one and eighth position but the position doesn't justify it all because sunderland are still like three points away from the second spot in the uh, league one table but charlie theron and stuart donald's uh, financial plan uh, as it was supposed to be is just not coming to plan and that's because they just don't have enough money to get Sunderland out of that financial crisis so the staff at Sunderland was just so much and was on so many wages that they were just incompetent like they did not have the work, work hunger or the essential work ethic that you know Stuart Donald and Charlie Theron wanted at their club but they ju- they, ju- they just didn't like the environment and the work uh, environment at Sunderland so it was just a failure and the opposite end of a spectrum of owners who are very passionate but just are very very broke and that's that's very very sad in my opinion and Sunderland uh, is one of those clubs that very much struggle and the, the and the and once the transfer budget is very low the teams especially in the championship look for loan signings and loan signings are another ball game because you know uh, the signing on fee for the loan players is something that's very different and there's a lot of negotiation processes that go for signing a loan player from a top club and there could be a case that the player could just terminate as loan in the middle and just move on to another club Louis Graban was a prime example at Sunderland he just moved out uh, in the middle of the season uh, in the 2017-18 or the 18-19 season I'm not, not pretty sure and he just went to the rival club's villa I believe and Sunderland was just left goalless so if you don't have the proper financial power or backing it's not just going to help you it's just not going to help you and I very much sympathize with Stuart Donald and Charlie Theron at Sunderland. Imagine if they had the money and the resources of someone like a Manchester United. Now, you could probably say they probably would not have built a world-class or an elite um, footballing structure um, with that sort of an amount of money, scouting, uh, scouting network and resources. But they could have at least been very competent. I mean... You know, it's still pretty unknown and very uncertain to say whether the structure would have been uh, top class to be a very good European club or would it just be that Stuart Donald uh, would be very naive to build that sort of a structure. It's very pretty much unknown. You can't just say that until and unless you've got 
the evidence or some sort of a proof that that could happen so Sunderland's a very opposite end of that spectrum and if I go further down the line you've got Bari FC who just doesn't sadly exist as a football club but Bari went to the worst extent of a Leeds United I mean the, their owners were so bad the football the footballing um, thing like the football club of Bari became so bad and the, the the financial situation went so worse that they couldn't afford play wages staff wages or anything and the owners could just you know not even sell the club for a very reasonable price and there was a point where probably someone was talking about buying Bari FC for a pound the club is just dead the fans are not happy at all and you know it, it's just a very sad state so Bari FC is an example where owners could just ruin a football club without even considering the footballing side of things and the clubs could just no longer exist in football so rest in peace Bari FC so I just hope United are obviously not going to end in the Bari FC situation because I definitely believe that they are financially at least uh, on, a, on, a, on a thought that they, were, they want to be in football but Bari FC is the worst that it could get and I just don't hope that happens ever in football again and maybe in the future someone could revive Bari that could be a very very good thing now to- bringing my talk- topic back to United you could actually you know uh, make a case for Edward Wood and you know m- maybe speak something positive for him I mean this is not something many United fans would say but is it right that you could sympathize for someone like an Edward Wood uh, and as, uh, you know, to be very honest, I would never sympathize for someone like an Edward Wood, and no United fan would. But take a look at it, a look at it this way, maybe. If Manchester United want to buy a player in the transfer market, and let's say the Glazers have like just given 150 million pounds, and Woodward has no option but to take it or leave it, so he'll obviously take the 150 million pounds because he just wants to help Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whoever the manager is, to buy that player at Manchester United. So, let's say for in that 150 million, Edward Wood decides that he wants to sign a central defensive midfielder. So let's say um, they go to AC Milan to sign Benaka, and if Benaka's market value is 55 to 60 million pounds, AC Milan would just uh, price United for a 75 million pounds because they're Manchester United. They're a big club, and they know that Manchester United have the money so they just want to uh, get as much money as possible for United from United so they will add an extra 20 odd million just for getting profits and just to suck money out of United and not just that uh, take a take a take a look at Bruno Fernandes' case the way United handled Bruno Fernandes' negotiations was very much criticized because uh, Sporting Lisbon I think they demanded Tottenham Hotspur uh, about a 45 million euros or a 50 million euros uh, in the summer of 2019 in June when Spurs were apparently in for Bruno Fernandes. But uh, Spurs definitely could not sign him and it went to January and United showed interest in Bruno Fernandes because they wanted midfielders. So Sporting Lisbon said to United that 
they have to pay 25 million pounds more than what Spurs uh, offered for Bruno Fernandes because United just went with the Spurs offer initially but uh, Sporting Lisbon told that within the span of 6 months the player's value has gone up 25 million and just because they're Manchester United and just because they have money they have to pay the 25 million pound or, or unless that unless that happens the players is not player is not going to uh, Manchester United and in that sort of a scenario put yourself into Edward Wood's column like you definitely have to deliver the transfer targets that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants otherwise he would not probably uh, achieve his managerial accomplishments or targets as such that he wants to achieve and if he's not able to achieve them you just can't blame them uh, blame him because you have not delivered him the, the signings so in that in that sort of a situation you feel like you, you want to walk away from the Bruno Fernandes deal but if you walk away then there will be a massive outrage from the fans because they want the player desperately and they want you to competence and sign the player so what would situation in that I think could be bad but it still could not it's, it still can't be termed completely bad if the negotiations are properly held I think Manchester United's problem is the negotiations uh, because they negotiate in a way that they sound very bargaining but to be honest whenever you see Manchester United and Edward Wood in the media they announce record revenues and they announce it as if United are a very rich club and they earn a lot of money When and when you do that in the media whenever you go to negotiations no matter how hard you try to convince a club to uh, sell United a player for the right market value they're just going to overprice you because they know that you've got a lot of money and clubs do need money because they want to financially improve the situation. Every club wants to. And another thing about Manchester United is the cluelessness about who makes the decision at the club. Like at Chelsea, you know that there's Roman Abramovich and there are a couple of more people and you have someone like a Petr Cech who's now uh, acting as a director of football. At Liverpool, you know who does the decisions. At City, you know it's Khaldun al-Mubarak the CEO uh, who's operating stuff at Man City and you obviously have an idea who that director of football is. But at Manchester United, it's not the case. You don't know who to who to blame. You don't know whether it's the Glazers who are not releasing the funds. You don't know whether it's Ed Woodward uh, who's not competently negotiating deals and contracts and uh, handling things at Manchester United. You don't know whether it's Matt Judge who's not doing the proper negotiation stuff. You just don't know who's the root for the main problem. And that's something that's not good for any football club. And that's what depicts Manchester United as a club that's very incompetent. And the Glazers, someone who owned Manchester United, just sucked the money out of it. And they've sucked about a billion pounds out of the club ever since they've taken over the club in the 2005-06 season, if I'm not wrong. And since then, the debt has also increased and they've not paid the debt. Although there have been rumours that they've set some amounts for the debt payment in the future if they ever have to so what's the solution for someone like a Manchester United to be back on track on a football financially as well well it's just a takeover or it necessarily couldn't be a takeover if Edward Wood and Glazers suddenly decide to structure the club properly like hire a good director of football hire a manager maybe with a good philosophy and make those four, make those two people those director of football and manager to work properly together to get some good players for a reasonable amount of price build a good team develop them over a consistent amount of period for three or four years and see if that works but United have not done that but they apparently act that they've tried to do that in a couple of 
attempts like with Mourinho and Bengal and it just doesn't work so with united maybe takeover could be the ultimate solution in that case now completely taking this situ- uh, discussion to another level let's talk about newcastle situation now mike actually was someone who acted as a, as if someone who loved newcastle as a football club and he bought newcastle and he used to sit with newcastle fans and watch games and he used to be the guy who wanted to take newcastle to the top of english football apparently when he, when he took over as as much as i've read the stuff about him but he just turned out to be very bad bad owner and he's probably with the most hated owner in english football because he literally did not invest money for uh, newcastle and he literally you know tied rafa benitez's and other managers hands at the back and he just didn't you know just didn't invest money and that was absolutely frustrating newcastle fans and that led to a massive down downgrade in newcastle as a football club they just got relegated once and they obviously came back up because they at least had a good manager like rafa benitez but it was another failure of a financial model and a footballing structure by mike ashley but now they're just going to go on manchester city and psg's path of sports washing now if you not heard the news newcastle united have been bought by a saudi arabian owned company uh, who have purchased 90% of apparently newcastle's shares and the deal has been approved by the premier league premier league association and 10% of those shares are going to go to amanda savely who's the broker of this deal now amanda savely herself wanted to buy newcastle united at one point but then she probably realized that she could rather broker a deal to the saudis uh, at a cheaper price because the saudis just got newcastle for a 300 or 350 million pounds and that was a cheaper uh, proposition than buying someone like a united for a 4 or 5 billion pounds and now if they want they could just spend a hell load of money to you know use newcastle as a source of trade and uh, business and they could make you know uh, newcastle united a big financial or a business model and they could bring all those world class players in at newcastle and make newcastle maybe the next man city and break their duck and maybe win the champions league who knows newcastle have literally now got the money to do anything because they've got a 260 billion pounds apparently and even more maybe more than that because Newcastle owners have got a filthy load of money uh, since they've got major amount of those revenues from the oil that the gulf countries sell across the world now talking about manchester city and psg they just are prime examples of sports washing by sports washing i mean on a footballing sense the club from top to bottom is absolutely perfectly run pep guardiola and thomas tuchel are very good managers you've got the squad that has oh, that has overloaded itself with two or three top quality players who could just come into the first team and play any time in every single position literally although there might be some ifs and buts in both these cases but they have literally bought out every single position and they've literally bought out the league but every single thing in terms of footballing uh, sense is just perfect at these two f- clubs but if you talk outside this um, area of football about manchester city and psg they looked as not as football clubs but as a state or a city as a whole 
लाइक मेगुल डिलेनी जर्नलिस्ट फ्रॉम द इंडिपेंडेंट वॉन्स डिस्क्राइब दैट मैनचेस्टर सिटी फॉर एन आउटसाइडर इज नॉट जस्ट अ फुटबॉल क्लब बट अ प्राइम एग्जाम्पल ऑफ कैरिंग फाइनेंशियल ट्रेड एंड अ सोर्स ऑफ कैरिंग आउट बिजनेस फॉर दीज यू नो गल्फ ओनर्स एंड देर आर प्रॉबली एलिगेशंस ऑन दीज समीज गल्फ ओनर्स दैट देर इलीगली अर्न मनी इज समथिंग दैट दे इन्वेस्ट इन टू फुटबॉल एंड दैट्स हाउ दे जस्ट शो अप फॉर इट शो अप फॉर दर इन्वेस्टमेंट शो अप फॉर दर रेवन्यूज एंड स्टफ लाइक दैट सो देर अ लॉर्ड ऑफ बेग बॉल गेम्स के बुक गोइंग बिहाइंड the purchase of these clubs and someone uh, in miguel delaney's article was quoted saying that when you're up against manchester city you're not against a football club you're not against 11 players but you're entire you're against an entire state an entire you know a state of abu dhabi owners group or abu dhabi as a whole place you know so it's it's quite staggering of what these clubs or institutions are uh, just because of the level of ownership the magnitude of ownership they are and that's just very unfair because it's just like basically buying out football and not ethically building a football club if you talk about city and base and i don't even need to describe about them because it's something that every football football fan doesn't want their club to be to be called as a club that just buys everything for the sake of it Now, if you want to talk about an elite football club that absolutely built its way through right from the scratch, it's got to be Liverpool, because ever since Brendan Rodgers left, they bought Jurgen Klopp, they bought into his vision, they bought just like I mentioned at the start of the uh, podcast about you know buying players for thirty million pounds and stuff like that. Liverpool exactly did that. They just uh, hired a very good footballing staff and made a good footballing structure. they hired Jurgen Klopp they bought, they trusted into his philosophy and they trusted the scouting network into bringing players like Mane Salah Firmino was already there Fabinho Naby Keita hasn't been ahead that much but still Virgil van Dijk in a world class signing Alisson from a for, for one of the most expensive keepers in the world developing youth academy talents like Trent Alexander Arnold like Liverpool is a perfect example of financially well football clubs that are kind of elite so like if you see liverpool's revenues they're not very bad they've definitely like above 300 400 million pounds of revenue annually and you know elite they're, they're one of the elite clubs in europe because they they've built a very good team that can be considered as one of the top 5 teams in world football if not top 3 i certainly think they are one of the top 3 teams in world football right now but they just they just built it out so well with Jurgen Klopp's philosophy it's just so staggering to talk about and uh, i was hearing someone a liverpool fan say that when jurgen klopp came into the club he described liverpool as a team where t is terrible to play against e is equ- equally like bonded to be uh, together in a game a is something uh, opposite afraid of afraid of the conditions like i don't exactly remember what the team and the abbreviation meant but jurgen klopp def- definitely had a very fixed plan and he just carried out so beautifully that liverpool are now a perfect example of an elite football club who are financially well run the owners are happy with the revenues that are coming at the club and jurgen klopp is definitely happy with the players that he's getting at the club and liverpool is just the perfect example of money versus football of being the perfect club club in the scenario now not just liverpool but there are clubs who don't even 
earn a filthy load of money in rev in terms of revenues, uh, but they don't even invest that much amount of uh, money in like bringing in players across Europe. I'm talking about the likes of Dortmund, Ajax, and maybe let's say Leipzig as well. You know, Borussia Dortmund is a club that produces incredible talents from its academy because their academy is so well invested and structured that they bring in some really great academy talents and they sell they sell it to clubs across the world for a very very filthy load of money. You can talk about Usman Dembele. You can talk about uh, I could say Mario Götze, uh, Mats Hummels. There have been a a lot of talents that have come through the Borussia Dortmund academy and they have become world stars that's been a very good uh, you know credit to their academy structure and same has been with Ajax and Southampton was one of those clubs at one point in time but Ajax again is a, another club that made it to the Champions League semi-final a season ago with its uh, competent you know footballing structure having Edwin van der Sar and probably Mark Overmars I think, yeah, Michael Jock is Borussia Dortmund's director, but yeah, Mark Omas and Edwin van der Sar, I think they did very well in, you know, uh, structuring the Ajax Academy and bringing out the players out of it. Matas, uh, you know, Frankie de Jong, all these sort of players. Kasper Dahlberg, he's one, he was one of them, but he's sadly declined. But they produced so many great academy talents that they just sold out, sold them out and now they're bringing in more academy talents so some clubs build their academy so well that they they make those players as their first teamers they don't have to buy players from outside the club like they, they don't have to invest 80 90 million pounds on a particular position because they've already got some very good academy products who could develop into becoming those uh, top class players and credit to the manage uh, credit to the appointment of their managers because they appoint such good managers that they develop them into and mold them into such perfect talents uh, that they just become very good players and suit their system perfectly now i wouldn't say uh lucien favre the uh, dortmund manager is one of them but he at least is doing pretty well uh with the dortmund squad but i think dortmund can certainly do better if they hire a better manager and obviously compete with the likes of Bayern but uh, they can they definitely have a very good academy and they have done very well in, in terms of recruiting them and you know making the world stars recruiting players from the academy and making the world stars now let's talk about Leipzig now Red Bull has this curious case like Red Bull I think owns four uh, cl- clubs across the world and Red Bull are very rich. They've got a Formula One. They've got two Formula One teams that they own, and they've got four footballing teams. So they've got a filthy load of money, and they're a beverage brand as well. So the revenue that Red Bull earns is like literally very comparable to one of the highest earning revenues uh, in terms of companies in the world. Leipzig are not that sort of a club who are owned by filthy rich owners like Red Bull and they just buy out players like anything. Leipzig are a very, very, uh, you know, good club that has got the resources to recruit players and talents from across Europe for very less money and they could they could bring them to their club and make them world superstars. I'm talking about players like Timo Werner who they bought from 
let's say Stuttgart and made him a very top class striker who is now probably on the edge of a move to a Premier League club Chelsea for a big amount of money they recruit uh, they obviously don't always uh, go that path because if you talk about someone like a Danny Olmo who was bought for like a considerable amount of money from uh, Dinamo Zagreb uh, it's not totally like Leipzig just you know uh, recruit less money players from across uh, the world and they just make them stars but they definitely identify good young talent that could fit their philosophy and their tradition and that would work absolutely well at their team and uh, and the cherry of the cake is hiring someone like a Julian Nagelsmann a 28 year old manager who started at Hoffenheim did very well for 4 years and then he got the RB Leipzig job at the age of 32 and guess what he's done very very well he's take them very far in the Champions League uh, unfortunately he's drawn a lot of games in the Bundesliga which which is why he couldn't sort of compete with the likes of Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund for the title uh, and the draws have majoritively been uh, the you know consequences of players missing some really easy chances to score goals but Nagelsmann's a manager who's got a very good philosophy at a very young age that suits the RB Leipzig tradition and philosophy perfectly to bring in young young talents uh, for, for cheaper prices across Europe and world and make them top top class players so now you could literally look at that RB Leipzig squad and build so uh, they've built those players so well that you could literally fit them in at many football clubs across the world. That's RB Leipzig's model. And they're not someone like a Man City who just buy out players and stuff like that. And even before Nagelsmann came in, you talk about Ra- Ralf Ragnick, who almost was about to pull something like a Leicester City did in the Premier League in 2015 and 16. But even from the days of Ragnik, Leipzig have been on that track and they've just continued to be that. And you talk, you could talk about uh, RB Salzburg as well and the other two clubs that they own, New York Red Bulls. The Red Bull, Red Bull have this strategy of making football clubs and not investing a filthy load of money into them, but at least higher talents locally uh, across their continent or somewhere and fit them well at their clubs. Erling Haaland was obviously the best example of for RB Salzburg and RB Salzburg was obviously good in recruiting managers as well. Uh, Marco Rose, the, the manager I loved and I followed uh, in the January of last year where he was obviously uh, famous and made me his fan by playing his 4-3-1-2 system with Jonsovic the way he operated him and I think they definitely had Takumi Minamino at the club and he just had a very good system and Marco Rose again as a manager who got a very good job at Borussia Mönchengladbach and he did well at that club as well so the Red Bull strategy is not the Red Bull Red Bull uh, company as such is criticized obviously for like many things and like many instances but they're not a complete Manchester City case and that Red Bull sort of an investment could definitely work with football clubs that can rise in the future. So that was another instance or scenario that that you could cover. So yeah, th- these were some instances uh, where you could talk about money versus football, whether money and football could go hand in hand. So if I would like to conclude this topic by asking again the question, how should money and football go hand in hand? Well you get a football owner who's got a good amount of money not filthy rich not filthy poor good amount of money bring them at the club 
make a good make a good footballing structure by hiring a good director of football and people or to make a good scouting network and hire a decent guy who could ha- ha- you know handle the financial situation pretty well handling the finances pretty well so that the club doesn't go broke or just end up in losses and use the director of football to hire good good and reasonable priced talents across Europe and the world and hire a manager who has a philosophy and perfectly fits into how the director of football delivers the players to him at that club that would absolutely make a perfect footballing structure and that would not just produce footballing results on a parabolical rise or a hyperbolical rise i would say uh, that would not just be a hyperbolical rise of footballing results but it would obviously recoup the financial benefits to that football club and that's how perfectly a football club should be run and that's how money and football could go hand in hand it shouldn't be like manchester united where the the owners could just come in and just suck the cl- uh, money out of the club and just make them uh, football uh, football wise very you know incompetent and unsuccessful for the fans and it shouldn't be even like manchester city on the opposite end of the spectrum where you just invest a whole lot of money to just buy out the league it should be like liverpool could be the prime example at the moment as much as i hate to say as a united fan but liverpool would be the prime example and just like i mentioned uh, a competent football owner with a good footballing structure that's how money and football could go hand in hand and yep i hope that no football club has to turn like a bury fc just because the owners don't care about football and they just care about money so that's it from me from this podcast i hope you enjoyed it this was a podcast that i probably planned about you know scripting it pretty well and doing the stuff and yeah i think it was quite enjoyable enjoyable for me i loved covering all those aspects and i hope i could do more of these podcasts this is my 49th podcast release and the 50th podcast i'm just going to obviously reveal in the 50th podcast what i'm going to do and yeah hope you listen to this on anchor spotify google podcast apple podcast radio public overcast pocket cast cast box the podcast app breaker and many more and yep take care and see you again in my 50th podcast release